Namaste, how are you? Welcome back to the Candlelit Tales podcast. I'm sitting down here with my brother Aaron. <laughs> I'm sitting down with Sister Surika and we're reflecting or chatting about the episodes yeah. that we released recently. He used to we, call them Candlelit Tales We used to call them chats, we used to call them post-show chats because mm. we used to do one chat after every story show and then I, at a certain point that started to annoy me. <laughs> So, no, <laughs> so I started giving them different anymore. names. Although she's all about brand consistency and keeping. I know, but not that really, That was never a good name for it. So we started calling them reflections, and I'm very on the fence about it, guys. I'm extremely on the fence about reflections. Yeah, I don't know if it's a good too, title. Like, holy or something. Yeah, there's something a bit. There's something a bit fucking worthy about Is it. Is this still your intro? <laughs> no, I don't. Listen. Hello everybody, we're talking about Samhain stories. It's also our busiest time of year. But we're, we're actually sitting down in a B&B in County Monaghan where our mother is from. Yes. And we had a really interesting day telling stories. They're giving a workshop in a local primary school and going to Patrick Cavanagh Centre doing a show and we're doing another, another one with Tradoodle Festival. It'll Whoa. be on again next year and it's a very good festival. It's a lovely festival aimed at... Um, Younger people and children and families in this area, they do a lot of workshops in schools. And actually we've, we've been doing a lot of workshops and performances, mostly in schools as well, leading up to Samhain. It's always the busiest time of year and it's kind of fun mm-hmm. to be doing it. But like, it's, yeah, so we're going to mention a couple of stories, I guess, we've been using live and for yeah. younger audiences. And we're going to have a chat about the last two uh, episodes, the uh, Crom Dove and we'll have a lot to say about Crumb Dove actually. And then you told about the Avertuch. vampire. The vampire, yeah. The Avertuch. So, so. so yeah, as I said before at the beginning of this intro, if you haven't listened to those, go back and listen to them. And that's our intro finished. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was actually sitting here listening to you record the intro for one of the previous episodes. I was like, she is doing such a radio voice. She is doing <laughs> such a radio voice. <laughs> like, you give me sticks for my do. radio voice. Yeah, you are... I still maintain that your radio voice is morning DJ and my radio voice is midnight jazz. <laughs> midnight, really? I'm not yeah. sure. Like... I'm like, hello, everybody. It's jazz time. <laughs> I don't think you've listened to We're yourself. We're going to listen to the story. <laughs> I don't think you've heard yourself. It's not what you sound like. <laughs> you just put on a jazzier voice just there. <laughs> like, obviously. <laughs> hey everybody it's Hey jazz everybody time. It's, it's jazz time Everybody sit back Relax and listen to a story <laughs> Which was also The contrast In our approaches To children's shows Oh yeah Because I like to Hypnotise them Until they're half asleep You do do And then just kind of Lull them And talk to them For a while Whereas you like to You like to you like well, Interject no. with some energy And then they remember That they're children again And they want to get up And run around And I'm like half oh, I all just sit down, lads. <laughs> it's easy. It's kind of actually harder doing kids' shows when there's two of you. It's nearly easier doing it as one person. Yeah, you kind of just get out to your own vibe. At this stage, it kind of is. Cause, no, it's also really nice to pass the book. Oh, yeah. And really nice to take a moment off. Um, but, it, yeah, it, it's when it is that improvised kind of, uh, you know, which story will you tell? Because it kind of nearly needs to stay alive with kids' stories. Because you're like, they have, they offer up a couple of names, they might know something. Uh-huh. And then you're like, okay, well, let's, let's go down that path. They might know Fionn, they might not. They might know Puka, they might not. They might know something about Crandolph, or they might not. It's nice to yes and them. Um. Hmm. But I guess the problem with, with one particular Crandolph telling of late is because... Yeah, what happened? Ah. I haven't actually heard about this. You t- you rang me beforehand to be like a Crandolph... 
and Crom Cruick the same person and I was like I don't I like know but also I nobody I don't I, I don't know so late reading stuff and I was like oh what am I doing um, and it was just I kind of every time I couldn't sleep I was like hey what was that thing about the I went down another wormhole um, anyway I basically found enough information to kind of go okay so there's there's like almost three stories uh, and it's maybe even connected to Crom Dove and a lot of people had said that um, and then you had the, you had the story of the Cram Dove and the, the Doula. Yeah. Um, and what that link was, was like maybe I could tell that to a class, a fourth, a third and fourth class. I was there fifth class. Sixth class. I think it was maybe fifth. Yeah, it was fifth. And I think yeah, I think they were your oldest ones because you rang me and I was like, oh, they sound of a reasonable age. You're they were. Trouble. They were. They were. <laughs> and I basically. <laughs> I went into telling it with like, you know, information laden stuff, which was kind of in uh, Crow Patrick, the Crom Crook, who was the crooked one who was potentially a massive serpent or monster or dragon or um, creature of the other world. It was huge and people would come and try and fight it and to try and kill it or die. He was a guardian of death and also some form of link to the other world. And uh, he was a God of fertility and offerings were brought up to Cleopatra, potentially again, version suspect, uh, to give blessing on the harvest. Um, yeah, because he's strongly so. The thing that I've been finding out because I was reading the Festival of Lunasa, yeah, is that the, a lot of the old names for that that festival, which is not called Lunasa anywhere in Ireland, uh, when it was still being celebrated. Because it had kind of been folded into a church celebration. Mm-hmm. But it was called like Garland Sunday or Garlic Sunday. Or, you know, there was a bunch of different names. One of the most common names throughout the whole country was Crom Dove's Sunday. And Crom Dove, in that, in that kind of version of the popular imagination, was the last pagan chieftain mm-hmm. to be uh, put down by St. Patrick. So the festival was also very strongly associated with St. Patrick. Yeah. As are all of the, as are a lot of the hilltops that were previously associated with Lou, which is why Crow Patrick mm-hmm. was probably a Lou spot and is now a Patrick spot. Mm-hmm. But the name given to the the pagan entity that he sort of supplanted is Crom Dove. But that's kind of there's not a lot of story there. There, like there's a story. The only the only kind of actual story that's there, and I'm only thinking of this now because I didn't think of it when you were on the phone to me. Is the story of the chieftain offering a bull sacrifice mm-hmm. in place of Patrick's sacrifice to kind of sh- to kind of show him like oh to one up him basically, and Patrick I think like brings the bull back to life or something like that or else the chieftain uh, is somehow killed. I can't remember the details and they also vary locally, but like mm, yeah yeah. But again, there's a little bit of a bull sacrifice story, but again, there's just not a lot of there there. Yeah, so. There's also a link to a potentially a lord of, of known as Crom Croak uh, that was one of the last uh, Celtic lords that was pagan chieftains, yeah, pagan, pagan chieftains. After he kind of kind of got demonized and and you know you can kind of peel back the layers apparently and look at uh, this evil demon that kind of like almost got worm illustrated. It was potentially based on a character or a lord who was chieftain pagan. Maybe not all that bad, but also pay sacrifice or homage to 
Crom Cruelty, that's where we heard about the name. And mm. that and then this deal that they had made with Talisman, Talisman. I'm going to say tal- Talisman, I think it's wrong. That's uh, wrong, because ta- tal- that's a word. Ta- Talisman, I'm saying it so badly, I'm really sorry if you know this, and it's annoying you. Anyway, Listen, everybody listening to this has already listened to that podcast. Well, yeah, they know it. Potentially five minutes ago. Oh, damn it. They could also like... go back and listen to it. Like, so, you idiots. <laughs> that guy... Whose name both of us have decided we don't remember. We made a deal with Crown Grog, uh, but a certain number of souls that we give. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. right. Yes. Thank God. So, yes. and then he doesn't give that name every soul, yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. where he gets the headless goddamn horseman there. Do that. Yes. So, yes, yes, in, yes, yes. in the older version of that, it's a chieftain <clears throat> who brings his army to uh, either the foothills of Crowpatrick uh, or the one in Kerry. Karen Tool. Yes. One of the McGillicuddy Reeks. Thank you. And McGillicuddy, yeah. Yeah. And anyway, um, this army, a third of them died. Maybe it was slaughter, maybe it was first massive suicide. Oh, this is, this is the this mass is the suicide, suicide story. Yeah, this yeah, is the mass yeah, yeah. Story. See, that's dicey to tell children about. So you can't it be was telling dicey. children about I, mass suicide. I did basically get to that point and went, what have I done? Oh, no. <laughs> Where am oh, I Oh, no. This? Uh, I'm running straight up on the mass suicide and they're all looking at me with their big 11-year-old heads on them. I was like, oh, they're, they're some of them are 10. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, or my, you know, I was like, okay. Uh, you know, the, and the dragon swooped down and they fought and decimated the army. Yeah, um, so anyway, I managed to fumble my way through the end of that story uh, with a lot of kids. As I kind of limped to the fact that he was maybe a cram dove and... Did you know about the do him? <laughs> ah, Helps skipped and jumped out of that one. <laughs> and then there was a big army and there was a dragon and so there's this headless guy, <laughs> yeah. right? Never mind. Don't ask questions about that. That um, one no three, in fairness. Good, um, good, good. Yeah, the headless horseman's a fun one. I very much was was thinking about we had a conversation with Kelly Fitzgerald, uh, who's a professor of folklore in, in UCD. And uh, we were talking about folk stories and the kind of making of them and how they are so often kind of like local. And characters are like named and it happens to a friend of a friend. And it's like, you know, we still do that. All of the stories you hear about, well, my friend, you know, something, something happened to them. Like, and it, they're all, they're always quite reflective of whatever anxieties are going on in a population at a particular time. So, um, yeah, I decided to put a person in it. Um, because mm-hmm. a lot of what you'll find about the Dilhan, like a lot of these folkloric monsters, is kind of a list of abilities. Yeah, you kind of you do need a narrative. You need to narrativeize it, and that like that felt like a good way to. We moved chairs so that they wouldn't creak, and this chair just creaked. <laughs> Very loudly. <laughs> anyway, I decided to narrativeize him because it's quite terrifying. Because it's like oh. the gold thing, but also being able to cross any threshold, being able to get through any door. Being able, like, being yeah, unable also, to be thwarted. I managed to successfully tell that one, but with a different ending to the one that you did with the kids. Uh, but they were, yeah. yeah, they were actually younger. But they asked for the headless horseman. Like, I gave them an option of, like, do you want to yeah, spooky Yeah, kids are bloodthirsty. Uh, yeah, yeah. They so, want to hear about the headless horseman. Of course they do. And so I was, I was, I was telling that, and I was like, how was it ending? I was like, oh, I just locked eyes with this, like, sweet little girl. Who's going, and she was kind of, like, really into the story, literally listening, but also... On an edge was like, oh God. <laughs> and he lived happily ever after. Don't make the small child cry. Not while she's looking at you. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, There's always, there's always that line that you can cross with, well, don't, don't cross, with, with live 
uh, with kids with, audi- with audiences that are like so wrapped and so hooked and so emotionally invested yeah. and that's kind of what I, what I love about performing for kids because you're taking them on this massive journey and they get so invested in it um, when you're going to capture them now I Did know you get extremely my invested? energy can often be like to almost build that up or well so. no I just think we have different like it's it's funny because this is like kid performances are something that I didn't do for a long time because I just you didn't like them didn't, didn't particularly like them um, found them noisy and chaotic and less good <laughs> and have gotten better at them though yeah like I have gotten better at them we also booked several that you were developed for so I kind of had to get good at them because you also they're not a forgiving audience no. at all mm-hmm. because you really have to like do the thing mm-hmm. but I mean stuff like inter- like that little bit of interaction with them and like talking to them so like myself and Alan did a a show out in Bray for the Mermaid Arts Centre which was lovely mm-hmm. and like they were dialed in for over an hour yeah it's class which is I didn't think we could do that like 45 minutes is usually the upper attention yeah, yeah. but again there was those kind of moments of like okay I'm going to tell you a scary story it's just going to be too you, you got someone to hold on to because it's yeah, going to be a little yeah, bit yeah. scary and I told when I was telling them the Fionn and, and the and the dragon story yeah. um, you know and I had one little girl who was like yeah scary and I was like are you sure now and she was like yeah and then again I saw her like clung on to one of her parents yeah, and, yeah. and I was like are you, you, you promised you'd be okay you're still good and she was like yeah yeah so, you know, it is that sort of like little bit of interaction and that little bit of yeah, yeah, playing, uh, playing, playing with. We couldn't really see them today in the performance because they were up in a gallery and they were mm. kind of silhouetted against the windows and with stage lights. But, um, but it I, was enjoyed, I enjoyed telling them a bunch of true crow facts and then a story about a crow that was very made up. I mean, it was actually super <laughs> creepy. Like, it was such a good story. I was really sorry we didn't get it because today we were in the Patrick Kavanagh Centre in County Monaghan, which is absolutely beautiful. It's lovely. And they have these seats uh, up in a U-circle up above the the stage. And it's quite a narrow, it's an old church, it's converted. And the right in front of you, they have couches. They can fill it up with, with kind of more seats, but just the schools were up above. And they're all in one place, but we couldn't see them. And they were above us looking down, but we could see them moving, see them raising their hands, could see them if they turned. But like, we, like body language always, they were hooked in. Yeah. And... You know, we got that nice bit of interaction with them. And then, I mean, it was great to have Quivine, uh playing with Alan again today because mm-hmm. Quivine was just like playing the whistle, drifting off into a magic la la, lovely land. And I was getting distracted with music being so nice because I was like, <sighs> yeah. Because you wanted to kind of lull into that little yeah. little well that was what worked well in the mermaid so I was kind of like listen if we can lull them a little bit I think that's a nice way of doing it it's really nice in, in theatres to be, to be able to play with that when the music is that beautiful and you're able to kind of dance with it and the guys are just you know just a nice little flowy thing yeah and it, in all theatres you're going to sit back a bit more and listen a bit more anyway and kids just get that you know yes. um, so, so I told I told a made up story I made up a folk story I know you told a very well-crafted yeah. rearranging of yeah. a, a Merrow story or the Selkie story. The Merrow story. The Merrow story, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you did place it in Monaghan because it's landlocked. Well, I placed <laughs> it in Monaghan, which is meant landlocked, and then I decided to make it about crows. Because mm-hmm. one of my memories of seal. from coming to Monaghan is the, the rooks gathering mm-hmm. in the tree line. Like, it, especially this time of year mm, yeah, when the branches true. are a bit bare. Like, I just have a really strong memory of, like, crows and... Ro- now, there was a particular... There was a rookery near where our grandparents lived. Like, there was, a, there was a line of trees that was just, like, a crow city or a rook city. 
um, and they they would get together at dusk and just like call and call and call at each other. Mm-hmm. So I had quite a lot of fun telling the kids that like you know crows will recognize your face if you throw a stone at them, they will remember you. They will tell each other about you. The same happens if you feed them, which was like I had a lot of fun with that because I was like, this is I'm just telling them I'm just telling them crow facts. Crow like, facts are really spooky. <laughs> I could see I could see them looking at each other and again, and I was gonna like this is a bit much, Sarah. No, this is a bit that's, scary. That's all true. <laughs> that's all true, isn't it? <laughs> so yeah, no, I was just telling you real things about crows, um, and then and then I, instead of like I just decided that instead of um, instead of making it a, a a mermaid or a selkie, that I would just make it a crow woman with a feather cloak, mm-hmm. and pretty pretty much keep everything else the same. I gave the guy. Did you notice the name I gave him? The character in that, James Gunn. Do you know James James Gunn was? Oh yeah, yeah. Great granddad. Our great granddad. Because it's from Monaghan. So I was like, I don't I know that's a Monaghan it's name. Genuinely a, it's genuinely a Monaghan name. So I him. I mean just told a story about our great granddad to Uh well no, in fairness it wasn't because that that's not how his marriage went, but uh, <laughs> I know, but you know, using him as a reference. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well it was more the fact that like I know that there's guns in Monaghan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If yeah. nothing else. Yeah, there's yeah. there's there's some people related to that family in, in Monaghan. Uh, so that was also just a little thing that I was having fun with, which I think is a fun thing about folklore is that you can find that line between reality and fiction and you can kind of blur it a little bit. So let us talk about the vampire. The vampire. Oh, you did a very good creepy voice. Vampire. Yeah. I did. I got to do a creepy voice in a workshop and I also got to do an extremely high pitched voice. <laughs> that was awesome. That was great. Shout out to that one kid who came up with oh a God. prophetic rhyme, a prophetic riddling rhyme on the spot. It was great. It was fantastic. Uh, oh. We do workshops with children where we teach them how to make stories by basically giving them a series of prompts. Yeah. And then telling the story back to them that they, they made up. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. They adored it. But this little kid had a linchpin of a, of a plot point <laughs> well one kid had a fantastic plot point because we were what we were expounding on was the idea that you have to have a problem and you have to solve the problem in the story but you can't so make this <laughs> we can't make the solution too easy mm-hmm. so if if the person who's you know if the person who has the problem is friends with the person who knows the solution there's got to be a reason that they haven't talked about it and one kid was like oh it's because the the, the one who knows the information uh, only speaks in prophetic riddles and we were like that's fantastic and then both of us were kind of going let's just we're not gonna be able to do this and then later in the same workshop somebody so another kid was like ask brian and uh he's just like his hand was up which was quiet hand was up he's like yeah he knows and he just came in with a brilliant prophecy uh, that rhymed four line rhyming riddle fourth class like fourth yeah. class yeah yeah he was truly tiny. truly seller stuff um, they were mostly tiny. But now we are going away from County Monaghan. We are going to a place a few miles west of Garva County Derry in the area of Glenelan mm-hmm. and the townland of Slot Haverty mm-hmm. stands a lone hawthorn in a field atop a hill. Aaron asked me to uh, read this out from Folk and Flora. I heard this story earlier this year in August uh, in Scotland from an Irish storyteller named Eamon. Class. He told us around the fire. Um, that was a that was a retreat in Scotland. We'll be running one again next year, actually, with um, Daniel from Lauren Legends Shout and Kristen and that whole gang. Uh, and it'll be, if it's half as good as it was this time, it'll be fucking brilliant. 
But yes, I had heard it there, which was the first time that I'd actually heard it told because mm-hmm. I'd read it and I was like, that is actually a cool story. We, we should do it. Um, and then you did it. Yeah. Luke, uh, Luke of the Long Hand, um, you know, who uh, gave me, uh, it was actually, I gave me a lift home after a festival and back to Dublin and he said to me, before I get out of the car, do you know the one about Avertuck, the original map where? You do, don't you? I was like, hang on, rings a bell. I think Sarah mentioned it. What is it? Tell me again. And he sent me the link. And I was like, fuck, I didn't actually know it fully. So that's where that came in. I was only in like the end of September. I was like, we need, we need this. <laughs> here's, here's what I like about it. Because vampires immediately became about Victorian sex repression with Bram Stoker's stuff. Because it was all about sneaking in young ladies' windows and penetrating them, but with teeth. It was. It's all about sexual transgression. And that's, that's why you get a direct line from that to like your sexy Twilight vampires. Like vampires are kind of sexy in popular culture and that's because of that. Whereas I think Avertuk is, you know, and we had the discussion as well about like the way that the kind of problematic way that deformity is treated in, in folklore as being well, yeah. indicative of one's moral character. Because the description of him is essentially a small man um, little he's, person. He's a little person. He's a little um, person. He's like described as being sort of yeah, that that's like reflective of his him as as a his his mindset and his character. And therefore, oh, small people are bad. Watch out for me. Yeah, it's Ooh, it's that. Whoa. Yeah, it's that fairy tale thing of like the ugly sisters are bad because they're ugly and they're ugly because they're bad. And Cinderella is good because she's pretty and she's pretty because she's good. Yeah, and you kind of like you do get those kind of tropes come up in in folk tale and fairy tales. So you know we kind of have to recognize totally. and um figure out a different way into the story because yeah, I think yeah. the way like the way that we discussed doing it anyway was that if that's something that's in the character's head as being like nobody wants me except for my power yeah then that's a and how to also knowing you're not really in any way trying to but wanting the only the the I guess the link in the arm the the clout the the look of having a wife and a queen yeah and the respect of having a married position that you're involved in, that rather than an actual relationship. Yeah. You know, nothing in the interpersonal and being very bad at that. And like only being interested in the darker magics, the side of the dark, whatever it is that he's into. Um, and all of a sudden that, you know, that kind of jealousy that comes up from him out of nowhere. Because he's like, oh, you. Uh, I don't mm. know how people work. And I left the description of him being small out of it or didn't highlight it. Um, yeah. Which it like, again, from a kind of, from a modern perspective makes sense because there is still a massive amount of prejudice against people with disabilities and we don't want to yeah. feed it uh, while also not wanting to wildly uproot and change everything about the stories. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's it, like, it's, it's interesting to me how, how, like, unsexy the Avertuck is and how that blood that link to threshold crossing and desire and forbidden desire isn't there in that version of the story that that is a later kind of and yet it's kind thing of... that Bram Stoker brought into not even Bram Stoker you're talking about Varney the Vampire is the first time that the vampires yeah. were like hot and desirable sure. because again it was representative of like forbidden sexual mm. desire and Sure, and like, I guess there's a kind of 
you know, the story's pretty simple. He, he tells to the wife and then he dies and falls off. And each time he comes back, is he darker? Is he more evil? Like, they're, they're less and less happy to see him for sure. Yeah. You know, and you have this Dominic ruler who can't die popping up and a guy trying to kill him each time he comes back. And, like, well, I'm always like, wait, did they not all run away? Why did they, like, what, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I think that's an interesting thing as well about, like, the yeah. idea of running away. Like, to where? Yeah, yeah. If your land is good... Like people put up with a lot of stuff mm-hmm. back in the day. If the if the land was still productive and you, that's where your herds were and that's where your home where it was and that's where your kin was, like uprooting people is hard. So if a haunted vampire comes back, you're gonna try and you're gonna try a lot of ways to deal with the situation before you run away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, True. it turns out to be trees. He is defeated by trees. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No um, druid knows the way to kill him. Um. Which is also cool and interesting. I think, yeah, it, do, it does kind of like lead that bit more support to think that if Bram Stoker had heard that story, he did link it in. Because the idea of, you know, blood and blood sacrificing, uh, not sacrifice, blood drinking, um, mm. to regain energy and kind of composure and um, strength. Strength. Mm, strength. For, and, this is definitely... And, and there's the far more of, like the far more of, and the, the, you know, the fear more of, uh, yeah. you know, like... So it was that, like the, the dead people, the walkers that, you know, that's, that's just cool to know that, that like, that's a thing. Yeah. The um, hungry dead coming back is like yeah. a thing in folklore as well of like the return of people who should be gone and yeah. the kind of horror of that um, is definitely a big thing in Irish folklore. And I think there's something about like, it, it's got to be one of those links that is that's intuitive of like blood to strength because when someone loses blood they get weak Mm -hmm. you know so the so the inverse feels true that by taking in or consuming blood you would get stronger um and and yeah it it makes a sort of a story sense anyway yeah for sure for sure um and it's i mean you know it's it's we're literally going into the the dark half of the year we're transitioning into that that time of and it's kind of listening to the shadow, listening to the stories of the darker side, listening to that. And there's a reason it's so abundant in our folklore and our mythology. And there's a reason you have to kind of entertain that imaginative realm a little bit. And it's it comes up for me certainly more in the, you know, it comes up in the world more <laughs> as, it, as it begins to get darker outside. And there's something kind of lovely about letting your imagination run wild with that. And that's why it's a whole genre known as horror. But I think with the the folk tales, it's 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 reassuring for me to know that these monsters have been made up in mankind's imagination for so long, and they've created and culminated in kind of a creation and a shape that's been added on by people and generations and and tales, yeah. you know. And it's kind of it's it's funny just to tap into this again and this again and this again. And there's not always a full story. There's not always no, a full tale. There's, there's a lot of fragments. A lot of fragments, but the, the characters of folklore in 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 the Irish store of Halloween and and Samhain, that they've stayed fairly strong and they've been added to and mm-hmm. they've been multiplied. But you know they've grown legs and gone worldwide. You know the legends of the werewolf, the werewolves maybe coming from werewolves of Ossery, and that's a podcast. In fact. We do actually have all these stories on our podcast that you can go listen to. Yes, Aaron did a playlist. It's on YouTube. On YouTube. 
Um, um, and we got a lovely message from somebody. I want to give her a shout out because um, I did message earlier and said, remind me to thank this person. Yes. And uh, we got a lovely message from this woman. My partner and I have been travelling around Ireland from Canada since the beginning of August and we've been listening to you and your entire journey. Your story has been such a beautiful window into Irish mythology and culture. We particularly enjoyed the Invasion series and of course your post show chats. They're absolutely brilliant. McGraw, um, August, um, yeah, I mean, that was a beautiful message. Yes, if that was your message, thank you very much for sending that message. Good And I guess we'll be talking to you again next time we talk about stories. Thanks okay. so much, guys. And talk to you very soon. Bye. Bye.